This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Uh, We are so happy that you have joined us today. My name is Ben. Uh, I am, as always, uh, joined with our super producer, Casey Pegram. My trusty co-host, Noel, is on some adventures. And I have the immense pleasure of welcoming back to the show... Our uh, one of our favorite recurring guests, longtime friend of mine in, in real life, and then longtime friend of the show. Folks, say hello to Christopher Hasiotis. Ben Casey, thank you so much for having me back. It's a real pleasure. Yeah, I'm glad we worked out that cookie thing. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, so a uh, bit, bit of trivia here as Casey and Christopher and I record today's episode. We are all wearing pants. Nowadays, that's like a regular thing. You expect when you go out into the world that you'll see someone wearing pants. Yeah, I saw like at least, I don't know, 10 people wearing pants today. Um, <laughs> They've really caught on. Probably more. I don't know. Yeah, I, let, me, let me paint a picture though for listeners. Um, I'm sitting here in the studio. Uh, ben is in the studio with me. Casey is... Right outside the studio, manning the computer and the and the knobs and the switches and mm-hmm. all those things. Um, 
I can see, uh, let's see, so our, our studio is covered in sort of a dark gray milk crate sound-absorbing uh, substance. We've mm-hmm. got some pens and coffee cups on the table. We've got microphones. There's a uh, floor lamp behind mm-hmm. you. Yeah, floor lamp. Um, a uh, Some plants, various house cats, a uh, mm-hmm. little dragon over there. And then I see sitting across the table from me a um, rakish gentleman in a uh, blue and brownish plaid shirt, a uh, little, you know, kind of adventurous facial hair. and I, I, Adventurous yeah. facial hair? How dare you? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, well, let's move on outside. I out, out the window, I see uh, another gentleman with some adventurous facial hair and, you know, just really alluring good looks. Uh, also a, a plaid uh, with a brown and blue, a little more white than maybe yours, Ben. Yeah, it's no secret. Big plaid runs this podcast. What I don't see, though, I'm looking. I don't know if you guys are wearing pants. Oh. and But you know what? It's fine. I can see all your hands, so I know that you're not hiding any weapons or no sure. knives or guns, whatever. Sure. But you know what? I think in this day, if you were not wearing pants, if you were wearing something maybe a little more unexpected, mm-hmm. it would still be fine. That's that's right. If you're wearing something more unexpected, you will have people uh, react accordingly. A barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess like a, a big pile of monkeys. Yeah. Uh, one thing. One common alternative for a lot of people would be a kilt. Mm, yeah. Like it's uh, some very, people very popular around certain times of the year. Um, I uh, I was just up in Franklin, North Carolina recently, and they have a museum of the. American Tartan, I believe is what it was called. Oh wow! It's a whole museum dedicated to uh, to to kilts and Scottish patterns. And did you go? I walked past it. <laughs> it was closed. I was closed. Uh, I was on my way to the Museum of the American House Cat, which is a little further north in the uh, North Carolina mountains. That's not why we're here today, though. But I would encourage anyone listening <laughs> who's in the vicinity of uh, Western North Carolina, Northern Georgia, Eastern Tennessee, in that sort of Smoky Mountain area. Mm-hmm. Go check out the Museum of the American House Cat. I am 100% on board and don't know why I haven't done that earlier. Can why? I just tell you there's a mummified cat? Yes, please. <laughs> Thank you. Now I have to go. Uh, also, just before we move on, is it is it a pretty robust museum? Is it something that you could spend a few hours in? <laughs> you could. You, you could. <laughs> People okay. do love cats. Um, it is uh, made up for what it lacks in breadth by uh, significant depth. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that's a very, uh, a very well thought out answer. I'm impressed. Thought about the Museum of the American House Cat a good amount the past week. <laughs> so, so you're you're right. Today we are regrettably not diving into the fascinating history. Of- no, Ben. Actually, you know what? Yeah. I did bring it up for a reason. Can I retroactively make that tangent relevant? Yes. Oh, yes. Because please. at the Museum of the American House Cat, who mm. is <laughs> I promise not a sponsor of this show, but probably should be with as much as I've mentioned them in the past couple minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, there are really, really charming paintings of cats wearing, say, uh, dresses, frilly dresses, frocks, smocks, uh-huh. you know, any sort of petticoat. Ball gowns, maybe. Yeah. So I bring up the idea of a cat wearing a dress because mm-hmm. um, sometimes people think it's inappropriate for certain people mm-hmm. to wear certain things. Yes, 
Absolutely. How was how was that a, like it was a well done? Yeah. yeah, sit in for Noel's like tangent. Uh, can a, I kind of tie it in? Okay, I thought you did a great job. All right. Yeah, this is this is I'm probably trying. one of the best ones we've had on the show. Uh, so, so uh, you quotes know, around best. Noel has a lot to live up to. Uh, I do as well. It is true, Christopher, that we see so very often um, throughout history, we see the way that people communicate through dress or we see the way that dress is perceived or enforced, right? Like uh, here in the U.S. nowadays, if someone is just walking around in public, then other than covering, you know, let's be honest, like genitalia and and, and probably nipples counting there too. Nipples, buttocks. Uh, Right. Other than covering those areas, it's pretty much anything goes. You can kind of wear what you want. Well, I mean, I to inject a little bit of sociopolitical cultural yeah. reality into that, many of us who maybe are, you know, white men, for instance, can get away with stuff. Absolutely. People from different communities get policed all the time for what they're wearing. Well, they get profiled, yeah. yeah. But that is that kind of discrimination and that kind of profiling is not legal. It's just It's just this – country does a piss poor job of actually following the letter of the law in the in these regards and you're right because uh, privilege is a huge is a huge problematic part of this thing there's also throughout the span of human civilization there are examples of certain clothing types being restricted to certain people based on a socioeconomic or a, a sociopolitical caste system, a hierarchy, for lack of a better word. And today's story is about uh, one of the most ridiculous related uh, series of events that that we found that applies in this. And this is something that you introduced me to via our fantastic peer podcast, Stuff Mom Never Told You. Yeah, Stuff Mom Never Told You is a a really terrific show. It's got a long history here at the company and has been running for 10-plus years Mm -hmm. um, and really dives into a wide variety of issues relating to a myriad of things that women in today's society face and touches on history, politics, culture, entertainment, and, um, yeah, it really runs the gamut. So if you are interested in a really well-researched, well-thought-out conversational show about that and if it sounds – up your alley. Mm-hmm. Check out Stuff Mom Never Told You, listeners, if you haven't already. But yeah, as we were kind of poking through the Stuff Mom Never Told You archives, we came across a piece written by a former colleague of ours, and it sparked the idea to really dig into some of these stories about women who have been arrested for wearing pants. That's why we've been talking about pants so much. And that's that's it. To be absolutely clear, the crime they were arrested for was not like stealing a carriage while wearing pants. It was just wearing pants. I, I will also add that these arrests took place in the United States. Yes. So this is not this isn't like okay, we're talking about some fairly repressive uh, regime in um, you know a part of the world that maybe has traditions that would really really overtly frown on that. Talking about the United States. And we're also, yeah, we're also not talking about religious splinter groups or very conservative communities that are isolated from mainstream U.S. culture. We're talking about the the regular, everyday Janes and Joes 
of this country. And Christopher, you and I looked through and found a couple of examples. I, I propose that we round robin them. I, I, you know, I also felt, to be completely clear, I felt so just baffled and and beflummoxed to learn that this was a real thing. It seemed like. You know, and, and this is this just highlights my tremendous ignorance in this regard. But it it seemed like something that people would consider a big deal much earlier in history. Yeah, yeah. Because these cases are some of them are distressingly recent. Well, and that's the thing; these are cases, right? So today we are not talking about the woman who was arrested for wearing pants. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the women. Yes, multiple <laughs> yes. women. In multiple instances, over hundreds of years in this country, who are arrested specifically for sporting pants, trousers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, dungarees, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. pieces of fabric wrapped around two legs rather than worn as one long sheath like a dress. Right. The situations range from, you know, humorous to heartbreaking because every person we're discussing in today's episode is pretty much a hero. In, in how they stood up to the prejudice and discrimination of the time. Uh, Christopher, being that you are the returning guest here, uh, would, would you like to kick us off today? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to tell you about the story of Mary Tillotson, who's a woman who lived in New Jersey in the mid-1800s. So we're talking about a good long time ago. At the time, it was much more traditional for a woman to wear uh, really kind of full dress, right? So if you think back to that sort of Victorian fashion, probably what you're thinking when you're thinking those sepia tone photos is fairly accurate. You know, corsets, petticoats, tights, uh, hats, you know, sort of that bodice wear and a tight outfit. Mary Tillotson, though, going back to the 1840s, really started kind of shortening her dresses, at least in, in 1842, the, the historical record, and a lot of this comes from a couple different pieces. Um, forgive the long titles, but that's what academics tend to do. If this sort of thing sounds fun to you, dig into The Freedom Suit, Feminism and Dress Reform in the United States, 1848 to 1875. That's a journal article written by Amy Kesselman back in 1991. Uh, there's also a lot of information that we got from the 2003 book by Patricia Ann Cunningham, Reforming Women's Fashion, 1850 to 1920, Politics, Health, and Art. And I say politics, health, and art because that's actually at the heart of Mary Tillotson's arrest. Mm -hmm. So the reason that she was changing her mode of dress, shortening her dress, uh, you know, making it shorter, taking about a foot off, and switching to what was known as reform dress. So reform dress was a specific style where a woman would wear trousers and a short dress over it. It looked a little bit sort of like a, a what we might think of as a work outfit these okay. days. Yeah. This was done for health reasons. So Mary Tillotson was part of a movement called the Dress Reform Society. Uh, adopting reform dress, her impetus was that she was suffering from uh, dyspepsia, indigestion, really poor health, and thought that if I loosen some of this garb, it might really offer some health benefits. And for her, it did. The thing is, Mary Tillotson was out in public in Newark mm-hmm. in the 1840s, and she was arrested. <laughs> the other thing about that 
is it wasn't illegal. You know, and this this calls back a little bit, to Ben, to what you mentioned, how there's this divide between cultural norms and what is or isn't legal. Mary Tillotson was arrested for wearing pants, not because it was against the law, but because the police officer in Newark, New Jersey, assumed it was against the law. <laughs> right, right. He thought, surely there must be a law against a woman wearing trousers. Let me lock this woman up. And that's that's the thing we have to emphasize here. She was arrested and was doing nothing wrong. And it wasn't as if she were, you know, just sort of hassled on the street side and then let go with a warning or whatever. Like, they took her in, right? Yeah, arrested, spent the night in prison, uh, was eventually released because was found to be violating no laws. You know, but that's the thing. that That's what's tricky, I think. A lot of times we talk about interactions with police and the courts. Um, you know, if a police officer takes you into custody, it's not like you can just immediately say, hey, wait a minute, there's no law and walk out. You still have to spend time in prison. You still have to go through the legal appeals. Like there's a huge hassle involved mm-hmm. in all this stuff, all based solely on one man's assumption that this this violation of social norms also carried with it a violation of the law, which is – it's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and, and that there is no system in place at the time to then immediately refute those claims, you know? Yeah, there's um, no mechanism. Yeah, and so, so Mary Tillotson spent time in prison for wearing pants, but this wasn't just a personal thing for her. Tillotson actually – I mentioned the reform dress styles of of trousers and short dresses for health reasons. It's something that she adopted as as a cause for pretty much the rest of her life. She helped form uh, the Dress Reform Society in 1870, the American Free Dress League in 1875. Um, You know, she was part of a movement of really trying to push forth a more liberated agenda. She – was part of a movement in 1868 to try to vote, mm-hmm. um, which at the time women were not permitted to do in the United States, among many other people. And she she even cataloged her whole endeavor in a, an 1895 book that she wrote called History of the First 35 Years of the Science Costume Movement in the United States. And science costume is uh, <laughs> kind of a funny name, but uh, it was another term for the reform dress um, outfit because – the idea was based on supposedly scientific principles that given a little more freedom of movement, women would be healthier. Mm-hmm. It, it plays into and, and some of the authors of the books that I mentioned earlier bring this up that Tillotson was part of an early feminist movement and her peers in that, that reform dress movement didn't endeavor really to push through political reform or mm-hmm. economic reform through policy. Uh, it was more to present themselves and their lives as – modes of being and to inspire other people on an individual basis mm-hmm. to adopt that way of living, that way of dress. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, that, that specific reform dress. And, uh, there are certainly fashion historians who are much more steeped in this than I am. Uh, it only lasted for a couple of years and then fashion sort of swung back in the other direction in the 18, um, sixties, I believe, mm-hmm. but it, it was the start of something. It was the start of something, but it also was not the end of Tillotson's story because she eventually moved to a place, uh, Vineland, New Jersey. Vineland had, at the time, a reputation as a more progressive town, at least more progressive than the average bear, I guess. 
And you could wear pants. You could wear pants, which is still so crazy, right? Uh, and at that time, apparently, it was it was considered less controversial. As a local historian put it, the area was more tolerant of her practice, and it was considered in its day in the 1860s. It was considered a uh, quote hotbed of liberal activity. Hmm. But I like the idea that. Tillotson was able to find a place where she could dress and live as she wanted to live. And while some people will say that Tillotson's medical interests, like the the so-called water cure and stuff, while they may say that was a little bit, I don't know, quackish or maybe the science wasn't a million percent there, the truth of the matter is that her contributions, her bravery had to be inspiring to so many people around the country who probably looked at this and thought, you know, well, why do I have to wear a dress? Yeah, and that happened in the 1840s. And this is, you know, it kind of pushes against the idea of America as always being the place where where people can do what they want and are free to live the life they live. <laughs> right. You know, right. It's, it's, there's, there's always that, um, that duality, right, of the United States as it could be and the United States as individuals experience it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know what, while we're in this period, I propose that we we stay in this area time-wise, right, chronologically, and then we go to another Mary. Let's go to Dr. Mary Edwards Walker. She is the first person to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor in 1865 for her service during the Civil War. She didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to wear this pair of pants. In the late 1800s, she started wearing clothing, overwhelmingly wearing clothing that at the time was considered clothing only for men. And this led to her getting arrested multiple times. She has a great quotation that our colleague Kristen Conger brought to our attention in, in an article for Stuff Mom Never Told You, where Dr. Walker says, I am the original new woman. I have prepared the way for the girl in knickerbockers. This is back when people used to say knickerbockers all the time. And Dr. Walker's journey is pretty amazing. In 1866, she actually became president of the organization you mentioned earlier, the National Dress Reform Association. And she was, you know, getting arrested by these jerk police officers she would get uh, ridiculed from people, not just opponents of the dress reform movement, but also people who had advocated some degree of it, who had said, look, I just want to wear pants, walking around with a suit. That's a bit extreme, don't you think, doctor? Well, I mean, that, that's one of the struggles, right, that, that she and so many other people who are looking to push society forward in a, in a way that they think would benefit more people always struggle with, right? It's it's incrementalism versus massive sweeping change. It's, yeah, I get you, but you have to go that far, which works for some people and doesn't for others. A lot of people hmm. want to take that moonshot. I guess, so. yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right there. Walker's story does not uh, end entirely happily, but it ends with uh, a sort of prescience. So by the time she passes away in 1919, she has been somewhat isolated from the larger feminist movement because she was seen 
And this comes from a great article on weirdhistory.org by R.E. Fulton. Dr. Walker was seen as not this pioneer, not this harbinger of a new era of equality, but she was seen more as an eccentric, an, an odd duck, because the people who would have logically been her allies and her partners in this sort of movement were concerned that her dress was so unusual for the time that she was weakening the the arguments uh, that they were they were attempting to have the the changes they were attempting to make so they would think you know you're you're taking it too far people should wear what they want but why are you walking around in a top coat and a hat that male doctors wear and she continued to say well you know what women being people should be able to dress however they want work wherever they want and you know do whatever they want in general. So Walker's story ended with with another quote. Uh, this is from weirdhistory.org that I thought was pretty powerful. She says, I have got to die before people will know who I am and what I have done. It is a shame that people who lead reforms in this world are not appreciated until after they are dead. Then the world pays its tributes. And for a time, um, you know, we said that she passed away in 1919. Her name was deleted from the Army Medal of Honor roll in 1917, and it wasn't restored until 1977. That's really a shame. I mean, it, it's a shame for a while. Mm-hmm. It's heartening that that her stories come back up and resurfaced. That I I think in particular, her story really underscores how malleable the stories we tell as a society can be. Mm-hmm. Right, who we lionize, who we put on pedestals. These are always, always, always conscious choices. It's not like someone is intrinsically a hero or not, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's those of us around them who tell stories about them, uh, especially after they're gone, and kind of what we imbue them with. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's, that's why we're talking about these women. That's why we – sit in these booths and, and chat about all these different figures because it's it's really important to kind of uncover who they are, what they mean to the world, what they mean to societies and cultures, which can change, and also a lot of it's really ridiculous. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. 
And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know who also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? I think you know. It's Hmm. Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Well, you know, you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. It's easy, though, right, when we are talking about history to say this is the way things were 150 years ago. This is the way – it's not like that anymore. But let's let's jump ahead a couple more decades, right? Let's mm-hmm. Let's go – straight into the 20th century. And I'd like to talk to you and uh, and and listeners, if you haven't heard this story, it, it's – this one, thankfully, is a, a little more lighthearted. There's no um, serious repercussions. But in, in 1938, there's a woman named Helen Hulick. She went through something really similar, you know. And, and I think a lot of times when people think about social reformers or people who are pushing society to move forward, they say, oh, these are like – professional activists or their agitators or like this is their primary goal is to really disrupt, right? But we're talking about a kindergarten teacher and a kindergarten teacher who wasn't even pushed into this activist role that I'm about to kind of lay out for you. She was trying to do a good thing. So Mm -hmm. Helen Hulick, LA resident, and a lot of what we know about Hula comes from the LA Times reporting at the time, but also some retrospectives that have been published uh, in in the intervening years. So Hulik witnessed a burglary in her neighborhood. Okay, and so she, as as a potential witness of a crime, was called to court to testify against these two suspects. Right, so she's a a citizen, a kindergarten teacher, doing her civic duty to help. The, uh, the the victim of a crime. So she shows up in court uh, in downtown Los Angeles, uh, courtroom run by Judge Arthur S. Guerin. Thing is, she is wearing blue flannel trousers. And for the judge, this is a big no-no. 
Right, right, right. The uh, the judge is now completely distracted, right, from this this entire original crime. In his mind, there's a new crime that demands immediate attention. And I got to say, this guy sounds like a, a, a super curmudgeon. Yeah, Judge Garen basically says to Hulik, if you are dressed like that in, of all things, trousers, you can't testify in my court. And so he orders her to leave and come back wearing what he says is appropriate for the setting. Yeah. You know, and, and this is the sort of thing, like, yes, it's situational. Yes, mores and standards change over time. Yes, what is acceptable to us today may a hundred years ago look outrageous. Mm-hmm. Um, and what people wear a hundred years from now may to us look like the sort of thing you would wear at the beach. I don't know. But, um, you know, I, I the the LA Times has images of Miss Hulick. These are these are just pants. They're long. They're not particularly outrageous, unless you are a judge, I suppose. And right, they're not like raver jinkos or something. You know, no, that, that truly would be an outrage. <laughs> so, so he sends her home. Come back, says the judge. Uh, when you know whatever you're wearing does not offend me, so, and she does return, doesn't she? Well, she does, um, and she's quoted in the newspaper that day of saying. You tell the judge I will stand on my rights. If he orders me to change into a dress, I won't do it. I like slacks. They're comfortable. (laughs) I know. I mean, who more sensible and utilitarian than a kindergarten teacher, right? You were chasing five-year-olds all the time. Slacks seem like a good choice to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, The judge, for his part, said, quote, I don't set styles. But costumes acceptable at the beach are not acceptable in formal courtroom procedure. Slacks are not the proper attire in court. It's tough sometimes to be a judge. Poor, poor, poor judge. That's so, I mean, that has some stinky subtext, you know. Like, hey, feel sorry for me, guys. And I get get the idea that in... Many courts in the U.S. and abroad, uh, there is a uh, an expected level of of a little bit of formality, right? I mean, sure. You know, it's it's court. Like I, I've been to court. I dressed up a little nicer than I might otherwise because you're it's a formal setting. Sure. But um, yeah. I mean, th- this wasn't a casual outfit, and even the detectives. It it's not like they were the the detectives who were investigating the crime were the ones who brought her forth. So they didn't see there was a problem. But the judge sent her off, said, quote, again, when the young woman returns, then I'll be prepared to test just how far I can go in maintaining the dignity in my courtroom. But Hulik, on, on her way out, said, and I'll not sacrifice my comfort and freedom to the extent of wearing a dress. Uh, and then the, the LA Times goes on to say, Miss Hulik retorted as she clicked out of the Hall of Justice in her blue flannel slacks. Um, so, you know, there was a little back and forth between the two of them and Hulik is ordered to return, which she does. She returns to court five days later when the rescheduling has happened. And the thing is, she is wearing, Ben, can you guess what she's wearing? Uh, going to go out on a, on a crazy limb here and say, are they slacks? They are slacks. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Hulik returns. She's stuck to her guns. And, uh, let me just quote a little bit from the times in 1938. So, in a scathing denunciation of slacks, which he prosaically termed pants as courtroom attire for women, 
Gern yesterday again forbade Helen Hulick, 28, kindergarten teacher, to testify as a witness while dressed in a green and orange leisure attire. And the paper goes on to quote Garen again. The last time you were in this court dressed as you are now and reclining on your neck on the back of your chair, you drew more attention from spectators, prisoners, and court attaches than the legal business at hand. You were requested to return in garb acceptable to courtroom procedure. Today, you come back dressed in pants and openly define the court and its duties to conduct judicial proceedings. It's time a decision was reached on this matter and on the power the court has to maintain what it considers orderly conduct. And here's where here's where we get to the threat. Yeah, so he, he wraps up and says, the court hereby orders and directs you to return tomorrow in accepted dress. So this is for the third time, mm-hmm. the third visit. Garen says, if you insist on wearing slacks again, you will be prevented from testifying because that would hinder the administration of justice. But be prepared to be punished according to law for contempt of court. And this is not an argument that will sound unfamiliar to many of our female listeners, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a schoolroom or you have any uh, nieces, especially, who get told their attire is too distracting in school. The boys can't concentrate on school, right? They can't do their work because, you know, the women and their bodies are too distracting. It puts the onus of regulating men's attention on what women choose to wear, which Mm -hmm. is a a burden and not one that I think is fair. But this isn't something new. This isn't something that school kids today are dealing with. It goes back here to the 30s where the judge is saying, you showed up here in your blue flannel slacks, (laughs) ma'am. And it was too distracting. The prisoners, the court attache, everyone was just looking at you instead of thinking about the law. Which is entirely absurd. Also, by the way, Hulick is fantastic in interviews, and the author of the L.A. Times piece is having so much fun writing this, too. The, the you know, sort of vivid language that they're using heavily implies to me that they are also on Hulick's side mm, from mm. the way they write. And uh, she has this one quote where she says, listen, I've worn slacks since I was 15. I don't own a dress except a formal. If he wants me to appear in a formal gown, that's okay with me. I'll come back in slacks. And if he puts me in jail, I hope it will help to free women forever of anti-slackism. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> anti-slackism. Yeah. It's, it's on its surface ridiculous, but is entirely the point, right? Mm-hmm. And I, there's one crucial piece that we we should make sure to hit in all of the cases we've discussed when these people have been arrested uh, it, it was not uncommon for them to be forced to put on a dress in jail or in prison right yeah you you go to prison you put on whatever the prison tells you to put on and mm-hmm. and that's what happened to Hulik, right so she showed up the third day after the judge said please come back and she was again wearing slack so yeah, at this point, there is a little bit of contrarianism, but it's, in Hulik's defense, uh, not illegal in any way. There are, again, this is a situation where there are no laws preventing the wear, the explicit wearing of trousers or slacks. This reveals a lot more about Garen, where he just feels the propriety of his courtroom has been violated. And so when Hulik is arrested, mm-hmm. it's not explicitly for wearing slacks. She is arrested for 
contempt of court. And let's take a second there, because contempt of court, which is a fairly familiar phrase, I think, to anyone, even if you don't have a lot of legal experience, you've heard that phrase being used. Yeah. Casey, you've heard that, right? Of course. Yeah. Furthermore, Casey, have you ever held someone in contempt on this show? Ooh, uh, I'm going to have to plead the fifth on that one. Oh. <laughs> would, it, would that be like contempt of producer? Yes. Yeah. I've uh, seen the way he's raised eyebrows through that window. We've gotten close. We've gotten close at some times, you know. Uh, it's a it's a, a a very close working relationship. But I'm not going to lie, man. There is some, we've been in loggerheads before, you know. We have, we have differing opinions. Uh, but I, I like to think at the end of the day, uh, there's some there's some mutual respect. Where am I going with this? No, Casey, like barely. Well, how, how about Ben? Now you're starting to get to like contempt of sit-in co-host. Uh, <laughs> let me let me just say, can I be the one to say, please, Casey on the case? Hey, so contempt of court in in actual courtroom proceedings is pretty broad. All contempt of court really means is that you have been seen or someone, some individual has been seen as being disobedient or somehow disrespectful toward the court and its officers, even as loose as defying the authority or somehow offending the dignity of court. So people can be held in contempt for any number of things, right? Speaking out of turn, very loudly insisting on that, uh, being combative with the judge, Things like that, right? This contempt charge comes about because, as you said, Christopher, it's not really, it's not against the law for people to wear pants. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. 
After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online, and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So the, the story of Hulik and the trousers in the courtroom almost ends there. She serves her five days in prison mm-hmm. and a couple months later comes back finally to testify as to what she witnessed in the this burglary. Remember, that's the original reason she was in court was to help out a fellow citizen. Yeah. Um, yeah, she volunteered to come as a witness. Yeah. But at the time – when she came back a couple months later, basically, I think she felt her point had been made and she did – arrive in a dress. So I couldn't find anything in the times where she was quoted as to this, but maybe I, I'm speculating here that she she felt, okay, now I'm I'm here in court to really serve a civic purpose. And perhaps at the moment my anti-slacktivist pushback is getting in the way of doing that. I see, I see your point there. It, it also didn't hurt that uh, hundreds of people wrote to the courthouse protesting the treatment of Helen Hulick, and eventually this led to, well, this played a role in uh, the judge's contempt ruling being overturned or his mm-hmm. contempt citation. Yeah, so she she did have to serve some time, mm-hmm. but, you know, an official record expunged and all that. Yeah, yeah. And what what style? I just, I love the way... Helen Ulick is is talking to reporters this entire time. We've got the Los Angeles Times articles from the time. And uh, in addition to those great quotes, which you, Ben, so ably worked your way through, we've also got images of Hulick. So you can judge for yourself how outrageous is this outfit. Uh, we'll post a link to that on Ridiculous Historians, the Facebook group for, uh, for folks who are enjoying this show. Uh, you can find lots of other like-minded people and um, all sorts of ancillary stuff uh, yeah. about about these things. But Ben, yes, I've told you two stories. You've told me one. That's true. Got something I, else for me? I have one more. All right. And I think you're going to like it. This is the story of Emma Snodgrass. Mm. So she became, uh, when she was only 17 years old, a huge news story throughout the United States because despite being arrested multiple times in Boston, for wearing pants, she persisted. She continued to do that. And her father was a an official with the New York City police. Each time she was arrested, she would be forced to, you know, put on a dress and then she would be returned to New York from Boston, quote, properly attired. But then fast forward a few weeks, she's right back. Uh, she's Taking further, she's wearing a frock coat, glazed cap, striped pantaloons, and so on. 
And uh, someone quoted, I think this was the Boston Herald said, uh, has the appearance of a quite a good-looking young man. <laughs> and the Boston Herald had been reporting on her multiple times. They also said that she would be acting in what they felt was manner most appropriate for young ne'er-do-wells. They said she, quote, used to circulate in all the drinking houses, made several violent attempts to talk horse, well, that's some slang we missed, and do other things for which, quote-unquote, fast boys are noted. Uh, she had called herself George Green and gotten a job at a clothing store in New York. She was arrested there. And each time she was arrested, they, you know, make her take off the clothes she's comfortable with, put on a dress, and then they send her back to her dad. It's, I, I think it's because he is in law enforcement mm -hmm. that she is not having to deal with some of the same treatment or the same level of treatment that a lot of other people in her situation had. So Snodgrass, though, I mean, her story, we're back in the 1850s for this, right? Oh, yes, that's absolutely correct. Uh, she was really making headlines in... 1852 or so. I still am I'm curious about what talking horse is. I, I, I imagine it's it's uh, talking smack. <laughs> I don't know. Talking horse. Uh, yeah, just maybe maybe um, rough talk. Yeah, boys talk. Oh, something no. like that. Oh. I don't know. Well, it's funny. One thing in that um, that newspaper that you quoted mm -hmm. about her appearance. Another thing that they used to describe her. They said, "quote." She is a practical woman's rights girl, yes. as though, you know, and, and you know what that means, you know, to basically just capital W, capital R, woman's rights, and oh, goodness. Yeah, the, wow. The, the, the fragility of, like, that mm. patriarchy really exposes itself when you, you're so threatened by a woman who's choosing to wear pants, uh, but to the point where she's arrested, and it's mm -hmm. it's tricky. Um, also, the condescension mm -hmm. that is just dripping off that phrase, and the pearl clutching. You know, it's uh, yeah. This story is important because it encounters some other larger problematic things about the U.S. at that time. You know, that remain problematic in the modern day. Uh, you know, the idea of how someone wishes to identify as an individual. Right, going back to Dr. Walker's thing, uh, maybe people should do what they want, wear what they want. You know, she'd also been continually sort of rebelling against her father, who was either a captain or assistant captain in New York. When she was released to her father's recognizance one time, she just hightailed it back to Boston. And she was dressed in what were items of traditional women's clothing. And she went to a place called the Washington Coffee House, where she had rented a room. She left the place in women's clothes, according to one report, but returned uh, wearing clothes that would be traditionally associated with dudes. I, I think every time somebody gave her these, you know, ridiculous charges or arrests, it sort of inspired her to double down. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, what I what I think is just really fun about um, the Emma Snodgrass story is that. So she's a teenager, right? Show me a teenager who's not doing rebellious things in the context of a society or a family. So you can you can look at this story as just sort of the the antics of a of a teenaged person, which is often celebrated when it's a young boy or a, a teenage guy, right? So we look at people like uh, Huckleberry Finn, 
for instance, if we're talking similar timeframes, who is really celebrated for thumbing his nose at societal rules and doing what he thinks is best and living the life he wants to live uh, in that sort of American folk hero way. But the ability to operate in that mode is often extended only to men, right? And so especially with Emma Snodgrass, some of what we've talked about today dealt primarily with dress Mm-hmm. And just fashion, but um, Snodgrass and and her case really it veers not only into dress, but also action and what's appropriate for one gender. What's the way to behave? That's something that I, I think it illustrates really well that situations like this where we're policing dress and what's appropriate, it runs the gamut, and and there's so so much crossover. And so many assumptions made mm-hmm. on the parts of the authorities about, uh, you know, what could be a slippery slope, for instance. Yeah, exactly. And this slippery slope fear can so often be trotted out when people don't have a otherwise valid reason for their problem. Okay, this is a terrible example, vaguely related. Give it, it to me. It's it's similar to those situations wherein every year or two. In the U.S., there's going to be a usually a politician, one stripe or another, who says A and B and C is going wrong. Things are really going terribly. And part of that is because people are saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. And it's a slippery slope that will lead us on the road to ruin. You know what I mean? We will, we will say happy holidays one week. Next week, dogs and cats sleeping together. We're on the path paved with good intentions straight to Inferno. And it's weird because that kind of escalation of an argument, at least as it's applied to, you know, some of the uh, – the fragilely masculine patriarchs of the day here, it it seems silly when we look back with the benefit of retrospect, but we also have to remember, as ridiculous as these forces were when they were persecuting these people, they were really messing with, in some cases, ruining these people's lives, you know? Yeah, it's no light thing to go to jail. It's no, yeah, it's not something a lot of people do for fun, right? Most people... Uh, if they want to go somewhere for a weekend, we'll probably choose like the beach or mm-hmm. the mountains. Yeah, and there are plenty of ways we can draw lines from what was going on in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s and in the Hula case in the 30s all the way up to today in in other countries and other societies that you know maybe have res- more restrictive traditions of what women wear. But even today, people make assumptions based on what they think a person should be wearing. Mm-hmm. Or based on what they're wearing, make assumptions about the kind of person they are or the kind of threat they pose. And the authorities can act in one way. Individuals can act in another. It's ridiculous to talk about some of these things as being kind of lighthearted and silly. But they have real ramifications in both a historical and a contemporary context. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to save uh, a little bit of Emma Snodgrass's story for another day because I think we could – make her life story its own episode. Uh, what do you say? She's a, she's a solid case. There's, there's a lot to dig into with, with Snodgrass. So that is just the beginning of the Snodgrass story, and that is the conclusion of today's episode, but not our show. You can find Casey, Noel, Christopher, uh, some of our other guests, and I on this show twice a week. 
until Big Plaid shuts us down. I can't believe we brought that back. Uh, and in the meantime, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Christopher Hasiotis, dude, thanks for coming back on the show. You know, you always you always sound a little bit irritated with us, but you keep returning. Do I? Oh, I don't mean to. <laughs> I Look, I, I just wanted to somehow, someway get on a podcast and talk about the Museum of the American House Cat. <laughs> yeah. Which I did at the beginning of this episode, and I'm doing again now. I see. And if I had to go through the uh, the rigmarole of learning and really digging into some really cool history and sharing it with you, Ben, and, and the rest of you ridiculous historians, I'm only happy. Well said. Well said. So thank you. Likewise, Christopher, it's always it's always a pleasure. Uh, every time you are on the show and one of us is is abroad or traveling, uh, the person who missed out gets just a, a tinge of envy because you know uh, our partner got to hang out with you, which is it's kind of a big deal between Noel and I. I'm just gonna be honest. Let's all get together then sometime. Yeah, let's all get together. Let's get the band back together. So as Christopher pointed out, we are all over the internet. You can find us on Ridiculous Historians at Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. We, uh, we've often started wrapping up the show with questions. Uh, what are some other pioneering people in this, in this same kind of thematic sphere? What are some that you know of that you think your fellow listeners would enjoy learning more about? Because again... We can look back in this in 2019 and say, regardless of what year it is, there's so many other crazy things wrong with the world. Why would you care that someone decided to wear pants? You know what I mean? But we have to remember these, these kinds of battles, they're hard won, and uh, they make a difference. They make a tremendous impact on the world in which we live today. Ben, I totally agree with you, and... As we wrap up, as we both stand up, mm -hmm. I don't care if you're wearing pants or not. Okay, well, you might you might want to leave before me then because I, I was, yeah. All right, I'm out of here. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. 
Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.